to live each and every ordinary day extraordinarily well. It means putting your best foot forward and that what you do, you know, how you live your life day after day contributes to your career. So thinking longer term also, when you have a career aspiration, you may have a 10-year goal, 15-year goal to get somewhere. And it's that each baby step will get you closer to that goal. And we shouldn't allow to be discouraged by the setbacks. There are setbacks every day, every week, every year, but not to get discouraged in all of that. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by Inveris. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes. Also, if you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 10-second survey. All right. Well, I'm sitting here with Vincent Higgins, president, North America, MCloud Corporation, and author of Social Influence and Genius, A Leadership Journey. How are you, Vincent? Very well, Paige. Thank you. Good, good. All right. Well, let's talk about how you got started in the industry. Well, I guess it goes back to 15, 18 years ago. I founded a few tech startups, actually one tech startup and one company in uh, leadership development and consulting, which led me down the road to working the tech sector for oil and gas. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the challenges that you've gone through and maybe issues you've dealt through in that 15, 18 years? I have a lot of passion in and around leadership, having led a company in that space. I think it's so important how you view yourself inside a team and inside an organization. I see things in two camps, kind of a a command and control approach, which Mm -hmm. is really all about this is what I want you to do by this date, not necessarily giving, painting the true vision, not having employees have a stake in the process or ownership around the outcomes, but rather just kind of getting things done. And to be honest, often you see in that world, management by fear, where ultimately fear is what drives an employee to do what needs to get done. Right. I really think more around trust and inspire, where you share a vision and strategy around the initiative and around the company, allow the individuals to chart their own course to some extent, even allow them to make mistakes, obviously providing guidelines and rails, but working in a spirit of trust. And of course, being a good example of that as well, not breaking your own rules around vision and mission. And what it ultimately does is it brings a lot more meaning to the workplace and a level of fulfillment that you don't get in a command and control environment. Certainly with trust comes accountability and hard work and everyone doing their part. But ultimately, employees, workers, they'll be more productive when they have a real sense of contribution, of meaning, and some sort of legacy in their work. It's not just about the salary. There's so much more involved, especially with young people today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially with the millennials and the Gen Zs. They have a different view on it. 
and they don't stick around for, you know, three decades at a time at a single job. They move oh, no around. Doubt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is, you know, the golden rule to treat others as you'd want to be treated. It sounds a little bit cliche, but if you were to reflect upon that in your daily life as a leader, chances are you'll be more successful and everyone will be rowing in the same direction as you through that example. So again, in my ups and downs in startups, you know, startups are hard. I had multiple ups and downs in that environment, but ultimately, and I reconnected with some of the folks that I hired, you know, 15 years ago, and a few of them came to me and said, look, it was the greatest experience working on these teams because everyone pulled their weight. The level of politics was not there. And the the sense of belonging and contribution was very much part of the mix. Right on. All right. Well, let's talk about what you do now with mCloud. Sure. And I guess I joined mCloud just 11 months ago. I was with Honeywell Corporation for six or seven years, led their advanced software business, a great company, a very strong teams there and engineers. In moving over to mCloud Technologies, what I found was speed, moving faster than I've never, ever moved before. mCloud is a publicly listed NASDAQ company, small, not a lot of red tape, low on company politics. There's not much internal maneuvering, low on self-promotion and red tape. So things really get done. And for me as a leader, what most I've appreciated has been that every moment that you put into the day is actually productive. That's really important to me as an individual that I'm not spinning my wheels with a lot of internal red tape and political concerns, but you're really contributing through your time and talent to get stuff done and producing something pretty amazing. And our global CEO, who I report into, Russ McMeekin, when we talked about joining mCloud, he mentioned three things that have really resonated with me over this past you know, nine or 10 months, that it's for success, it's all about technology, talent, and timing. And I asked him to go deeper into that and to explain what that meant for him and for the company. And I think that's what made mCloud so successful. It's one of the fastest growing companies in North America now. You know, it's a technology company. So obviously that's the forefront of those three T's. Right. Technology being that for us, it's not so much about inventing new technology, but using the latest and greatest technology of other great minds. Some of the most innovative technologies, perhaps in other industries that haven't yet been applied to oil and gas are 3D solutions, for instance, is a great example of that, where it's being used in nuclear and aerospace extensively. And we acquired a company in that space and brought it into the oil and gas industry. And it becomes a single source of truth for everything you do, maintenance, emissions, management, live and historical data, et cetera. The second is talent, hiring the very best people, people that fit the mold, you might say, mm-hmm. where politics and self-promotion isn't at the center of their lives. Right. And then timing. You know, timing is such a key point. Bringing things to the market at the right time, at the right place. In one of my startups, I struggled because we were far ahead from a technology perspective and the adoption wasn't strong because we were just ahead of our time. The technology was amazing. But if I would have started that company now versus 15 years ago, it would have been a very different story for its success. So technology, talent, and timing have been key. And to talk a little bit about more what mCloud does, you know, we are cloud-based platform that manages assets in the field uh-huh. and uses AI and machine learning and algorithms to do that. So some of our assets, we have about 70,000 assets under care. 
oil wells, surface facilities, mid and downstream equipment. That's in the oil and gas space. Mm-hmm. In energy management, we look at facilities and commercial buildings and electric vehicle charging stations. For instance, all of Bank of America's 3,400 branch offices are controlled in the cloud using algorithms, their HVAC units or thermostats by the mCloud asset care platform. And so when Joe Banker turns down the AC to 62 degrees just before he leaves for the weekend, the algorithm over the weekend will turn it up to 78 and they're saving a fortune in electric bills just by having some simple algorithms look at energy and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And so that's an example of we surveil a lot of assets, oil and gas assets, for instance, and we also control some of them. Not every asset is ready for control or not every customer wants you to control assets in the cloud. Yeah. But in some cases, it's actually quite effective. In some of our the wells that we control, instead of tweaking the configurations every couple of weeks, we do it every 15 minutes. And of course, production values can go much, much higher for higher producing wells in particular. And then the third area, you know, oil and gas facilities, you know, commercial buildings I mentioned, and wind. So wind farms, you can almost think of a wind turbine as a well upside down, right? So it's producing some sort of energy. It deals with, you're dealing with a lot of the same issues around maintenance and data and things. So a lot of our work in wind is in Europe right now, but okay, as president of North America, we're going to drive the teams to bring our wind analytics. So performance analytics around what happens at the turbine in terms of throughput and maintenance and predictive predictive understanding of maintenance. And we have a really cool technology around blade inspection using drone footage. We'll send up drones and the AI vision analytics and AI will look at the blades in real time, look at thousands of photos and determine what needs to be done to repair blades after a bird strike or after a lot of wear and tear. So a lot of interesting components to our asset care platform and connected worker kind of fits it all together, Mm -hmm. equipping the connected worker with tablets and mobility solutions to bring that, those kind of insights back into the field to uh, do the repair or look at the equipment as needed. Yeah. And aren't they utilizing old platforms to put wind farms on or am I mistaken? Yeah, to some extent, wind is interesting. There's a tremendous amount of data around wind. You can find out the make and model, how old the wind farm is or the particular turbine. There are brand new turbines and there are 15-year-old fields, each with their own set of problems. You know, Texas, as you know, is the largest wind energy sector in the country. In fact, if you look at just wind in the Permian Basin, it's larger Uh in terms of power output than all of California. So, you know, we sometimes get a bad rap from some folks, you know, out of Washington around, you know, we're an oil and gas, the big bad oil. But in fact, you know, we're doing a heck of a lot in wind and a heck of a lot in solar as well. Well, we just dominate across the board is what it is. It's good to live in Texas, isn't it? it is. I got here as quick as I could, put it that way. <laughs> oh, where are you from? I'm in upstate New York originally. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a good thing you got down here. <laughs> I have to agree. All right. Well, let's get back into leadership. You kind of glossed over some things, but what is leadership really to you? In your experience, what have you learned? Well, you kind of learn in my consultancy where I was, my teams, I had a, over a dozen consultants helping companies in their leadership development, offsite retreats, and in a kind of strategic, a strategic understanding of their people and their processes. One of the key things I found is that 
it requires, first of all, it requires a lot of stamina to be a strong leader and a lot of consistency. And I've talked to many leaders, I've read a lot of books, and there's so many books on the shelves or on Amazon today about leadership, and everyone has a, a different opinion. But I go back to this understanding of treating others as you would like to be treated. Even though you have to provide a tough conversation around performance, or you even have to let somebody go, first of all, you make sure they understand and have had time to improve and fix things that needed to be fixed. And it all really begins on respecting the human person and respecting who they are as human being. And again, back to that golden rule. So, and then second, uh, to practice what you're preaching. If you say something, you have to follow through, absolutely follow through with what you say. So if you promise numbers, if you promise outcomes, obviously sometimes falls short, if it's sales, if it's this, if you're in product, to be very transparent with regards goals and objectives and be honest about any shortcomings you know related to that so i really enjoyed my different roles i particularly enjoy the one here at mcloud because of the culture and i'm not doing that because i'm just promoting the company i'm with but i've really found it an excellent experience with being a small public company having access to capital as well as great talent and growing the business accordingly I don't know what else would you like to know about leadership. I think as a CEO or a president, three kind of major components for me is communication and vision, vision and mission. That's, I think, number one, and being consistent in one's own actions related to that. Removing obstacles from others' way so that they can be successful. So a lot of what you have to do as a senior leader is making sure other people can do their job by removing the obstacles that they cannot remove themselves because they don't have either the authority or the wherewithal or the experience to do that. So I think people really appreciate it. There is something, you know, we're delayed on a product release and, you know, we don't have enough developers in a particular business unit and you solve problems for people. I think that's very helpful because often everyone really does have, in my mind, the desire to do the right thing or at least to succeed. And sometimes they just don't have the wherewithal to remove the obstacles that are in their way. And then the third thing is obviously sales, driving executive sales at the higher level. So communication of vision and mission, removing obstacles and driving executive sales. I think that's what a senior leader needs to be focused on. And that's kind of what my book is about. I wrote it over 10 years ago as part of my consulting practice, Social Influence and Genius, a Leadership Journey. It kind of takes a look at personal leadership and also professional consulting and kind of brings the two worlds together. It's an okay book. I probably would write it now a little bit differently than I did then. I wrote it with one of the founders of PricewaterhouseCoopers who has since passed away, but it was a lot of fun to write. I'd do it again. You should. I think you should do that or maybe a reprise. That would be good. So is there an example of maybe a difficult time in leadership that you've had? Yeah. One example is in the startup world when, you know, cash is king and there are times when the sales are not to where they need to be and you have to step up. And multiple times I've had to step up, make tough decisions in one of our businesses, let some people go and then bring people, sometimes the same people back on board later on, even have had to, you know, bridge the gap for payroll with my personal funds when it wasn't available. That's early stage startup. You know, it's not for everybody, but you learn a lot in that world of having to 
bootstrap your way through early, early stages until you get the funding that you need and build a board and a team, you know, a group of investors. But the first couple of years can be tough. It was a humbling, of course, a great learning experience for me, which I take with me to the office every day. But ultimately, it's about the people and how they're treated and the transparency, accountability, holding people accountable. People want to be held accountable with clarity, but also with charity, with respect. So I think that combination is important. Unfortunately, there are a lot of leaders who just don't have that. They fall to the pressures of the moment and they don't treat others as they would want to be treated themselves. And we've all had good managers and bad managers. I've found that in my own career, people, they look to work for a company. They often want to work for a good manager or a good leader. And I've had many people follow me over the years through my cycle of you know, different companies, it's important, I think, to realize that, you know, the example you give in leadership ultimately will benefit you because they'll come and follow you. I just hired a sales director and he is a very strong leader. He told me, and I talked to someone else in his previous organization that they would take a bullet for him. That is to say, they would follow him to any company because of his leadership style and his uh, success in building up teams. So I think it's good for all of us to reflect on If we've had a good manager, a good leader that we've worked for, what were those qualities that they had and how am I emulating those in my own life? If you have a little bit of self-reflection about that, because leadership is really about leading and giving that example. It's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief at OGGN, and the energy industry faces challenges every day. And the events of the last two years have caused disruptions like never before. Companies in the energy industry need actionable intelligence and a single source of truth that brings all the data together. Eneveris is the energy specialized technology partner that provides intelligent connections for the global energy ecosystem. Only Eneveris has the analytics, people, experience, and industry scope to connect the right data and information in the right way to discover missed opportunities and deliver fast outcomes. Find out more at Eneveris.com. That's E-N-V-E-R-U-S.com. I don't think people realize how difficult the startup world really is and how cutthroat it is. I mean, I've read about people putting an extra mortgage on their house to make it. You know, it takes so much. It's very very stressful. (laughs) Oh, very stressful. Very stressful. You put everything you have into this one thing and hope it works out. So, but if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be, Vincent? Oh, wow. We've covered so much today. I would say... It's a phrase I sometimes talk to myself, which I think maybe I could share, to live each and every ordinary day extraordinarily well. Oh, I like that. Yeah. To live each and every ordinary day extraordinarily well. It means putting your best foot forward and that what you do, you know, how you live your life day after day contributes to your career. So thinking longer term also, when you have a career aspiration, you may have a 10-year goal. 15-year goal to get somewhere. And it's that each baby step will get you closer to that goal. And we shouldn't allow to be discouraged by the setbacks. There are setbacks every day, every week, every year, but not to get discouraged in all of that. And then finally, to be patient with yourself, because we all have a lot of faults and we make a lot of faults and have a lot of mistakes in our lives, that we are human, but also to learn from those mistakes, never to repeat something you've done that you hasn't turned out well. And sometimes we do that. We just fall into that repeating 
the old adage that doing things the same way and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity, right? Yeah. Isn't that Einstein? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Sometimes we just have to get out of our own way and realize that just step back and look at yourself. I do uh, what I call an examination of conscience every day at the end of the day. And I just spend 10 or 15 minutes looking at my day related to a series of goals and objectives that I have. And I've used kind of this methodology for many years. And that self-reflection is really important. First of all, to thank, thank God for the gifts you've received and the day that you've had and all the good things that are happening, because many times we focus on the five bad things, gets us, first of all, gets us in a bad mood. It doesn't really reflect the reality, boots on the ground reality that we are living, because for every five bad things that happen, 20 good things are happened. And often we don't appreciate those good things. So that what I call a balance or an end of the day balance is really to look at the good and the bad and really to thank God for the good. And then what do I need to do to improve and start again fresh? Back to that same phrase, live each and every ordinary day extraordinarily well. You have to look at what you've done and what you could do better. Very good. Very good. Well, in being in the technology space, what would you say is your most used business tool? Currently, it's our 3D solution. It's a fascinating look. So I built a startup years ago in virtual and augmented reality. That's the one that struggled early on because it was just so early in the game with virtual reality. Now, 12, 15 years later, you know, Facebook and everyone else is in the game and there's billions of dollars being spent. Back then, it was early days, particularly for the hardware. We had great software back then, but the hardware wasn't up to speed to really give a good user experience. But these days, what you can do in scanning, there's something called photogrammetry. It's kind of a type of laser scanning where within a day you can scan, you know, small plant or mid-sized plant and all with a lot of precision in 3D. And that then becomes kind of your single source of truth for all sorts of data. Because one of the big issues of, you know, IoT, industrial IoT today is just, just too much data and it's not contextualized. So if you can get a visual cue like a 3D world to walk through, in our case, we do it in a web browser. We can do it on a VR headset, but again, the hardware is still not quite there for that user experience. But walk into that, think about as a first-person shooter game, where you're walking into a plant or an upstream facility, and basically you're hanging data onto every flange, every pump. And that data can be maintenance records. It can be emissions data. That's our latest thing. We have a great detection system for detecting methane. And we hang the data around the detection of, say, hundreds of leaks. And we use that same software, that visualization software, to repair those leaks and have a record and an ESG dashboard that goes even up to the EPA to provide the evidence that you've done the due diligence for methane mitigation. It's something that grows over time. So you may put smart PNIDs in there, or you put, you know, some sort of maintenance data, but we're also starting to connect live data sets from SCADA, from the wellhead or from the equipment, the automation equipment. And it's amazing. It's beginning to be used as the place that everybody goes at the beginning of the day for maintenance planning, for looking at safety concerns. It becomes that we call the metaverse or the industrial metaverse, I think has a lot of promise in the next 10 years. And there are more companies in the space now, but the whole question of digital twin, but a visual digital twin, along with a data-driven digital twin kind of married together, I think is going to be, and is for our company, one of our greatest strong points. 
which is kind of unique, especially in upstream where you don't see a lot of digital twins out there in the oil fields. We just finished a project in Colorado where we scanned over 100 wells in about three days. And within a week, they could literally walk the entire field in a virtual environment on their screen. And then little by little, as we integrated data sets, they began to see their PNIDs, they began to see documents, all sorts of information, data, data sheets from what pump jack they had or what brand, what make and model. And little by little, particularly the younger production managers and organizers, they began to really see value in that. It's a really neat tool. I was just about to say that is so cool. Yeah. And it's high resolution. It's kind of a really it's like a first person shooter game, but it's highly realistic it's and gives you context. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put the guns in there. Maybe we'll do that at some point. <laughs> Defend your, your well site. I'm sure. Yeah. Well said, yeah. <laughs> I would love fun. to see that if y'all ever do that. Please let me I know. I would too, actually. <laughs> well, you don't have to say who it is, but who is your most respected competitor? Oh, gosh, we'd have to break it down into components because our solution is so varied. We've acquired six companies in the last six years. Oh, man. We have competitors in our mobile solution. We have competitors in our 3D digital twin. We have competitors in the kind of our data analytics tools and our AI. So there's not really one competitor because what we bring to the table is kind of a mix of multiple solutions that take things end to end. When we're talking digital oil field, Champion X could be a, considered a competitor or one component. There are others that do digital twin solutions like a Honeywell or a Emerson. They could be a competitor in some regards. If we put all of the pieces together end to end, we, I don't think there's anyone doing what we are doing in terms of the, uh, we specialize in multiple things and bring it together in a single solution. And what I like about it we can do pilots quickly because it is purely subscription model. If we do have to instrument a well or a wind farm or a HVAC unit with sensors or automation equipment, we will buy that equipment and amortize it across a subscription. So it's really easy. Say you had a thousand well field, you could try a hundred wells or even 50 at a low cost because you know, you're just paying a monthly subscription. And then over time you can grow that instead of having to pay a big upfront cost just to get started. So it's one of the things that attracted me to mCloud when I was talking to our global CEO and his team was the go-to-market. And I found it in other companies where there was subscription-based, but there seemed to be always an upfront couple hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar upfront cost to get started, which tended to break down the sales cycles and make it difficult to sell. Always a big sale. You can start small with the subscription. And people are starting to get more used to subscription-based models as well as cloud because cloud is something that is more embraced than it has been in the past. And I think oil and gas companies are understanding that there is a lot of value. And ultimately, cloud-based platforms are intrinsically more secure than on-premise because on-premise solutions tend to be older technology and more security gaps than, say, something that's built from the ground up in the cloud. You know, just have to grow in confidence with that. We just signed a major partnership with Google, Google Cloud. It's oh, that's right. It's quite exciting. You know, we're a small public company. They're a very big one. What we've done is, first of all, moving our software, all of our cloud-based software to the Google Cloud. It's still in Azure, in Microsoft Azure for some customers, but we're moving to Google Cloud. There's some really cool tools in there, including in Google Earth, because within and around methane, they have all sorts of data sets around 
overlays of methane on the map from all different sources. And you can really see down to almost uh, the wellhead, a source of methane, it might be there. No way. And integrating that into our analytics platform in that. And then the second part of the partnership is a go-to-market partnership where the Google Cloud sales leaders in the different regions become an extension of our sales force. And they're bigger than us. And they may not have as much expertise in oil and gas, but they have a strong sales force there. So we're really looking forward to working with them in myself in North America and our other presidents of other parts of the world. So that's a kind of a big thing for us right now is getting that off the ground. It was just announced last month. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I think they have an oil and gas sector. They do. They do. Yes. That's real interesting. So what would you say your most important lesson learned is? Oh, wow. These are tough questions. These are like existential (laughs) questions. I guess the biggest one is don't rely on yourself. Certainly, you have to be a self-starter. First, rely on God and rely on others. You do the very best you can every day. Put everything in God's hands and rely on others' great talent around you to help you win. I think those are two things that have helped me along in the years. And it was through the the world of hard knocks that you learn these things. You step out into business and I think time and maybe a little bit of humility helps you to understand that you really have to rely on others and give credit where credit is due. Be very transparent and rely on your teams to help you become successful. Very good. That got deep. (laughs) You ask a deep question, you know. (laughs) Well, that's fair. Fair enough. So why is your role now important to the future of the oil and gas industry? Well, I think because we need to transform, digitally transform oil and gas. It's such a wonderful place, wonderful people. And we are still a little old school, maybe a little more on the upstream than in the mid and down. But we need to bring digital tools fully into the oil and gas space. Oil and gas tends to be a little more conservative on bringing some of that to bear. But I think we're all seeing that digital transformation is the next big thing for oil and gas. I mean, we've seen so many wonderful things. We were energy independent in this country, and it was really because of the hard work of so many folks in the oil and gas industry that made that possible through fracking and horizontal drilling and a lot of other technologies. We still have a ways to go in digital transformation. And I think what we're doing today in my work, in particular at MCloud, is really bringing that transformation or continuing that transformation forward with things like the cloud and AI, machine learning, and digital tools. We can do it better. I mean, we've done a great job, but we can do it even better in the oil and gas industry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I can tell you right now, there are still companies using Microsoft Excel. Yeah, even daily paper reports. and pencil. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, OGGN is my favorite podcast, of course. Oh, well, we have 14 <laughs> podcasts at OGGN. But specifically, if the audience doesn't know, MCloud sponsors our ESG Energized podcast with Delfina Govia, which is also a good friend of mine. I think I was on her first episode. I didn't really know what ESG was because I think I left corporate right before that started being implemented. So you're a huge proponent for ESG. First of all, OGGN Network, I've known its founder, who you know very well also for for a long time, (laughs) been following OGGN, and this year we decided to join as a sponsor. And some of our top talent is spoken on several of the other podcasts. I think our ESG lead was speaking on the ESG podcast the other day, and our upstream leader, the same on the oil and gas 
network podcast. So we really enjoy, and it is a large audience. I think the oil and gas industry really likes podcasts and takes advantage of those while they're driving long distances or on an airplane, because we do tend to travel a lot. Yes. It's all good. Lots of commutes. Lots of commutes. I don't know if you know this. We actually, on our network, we have the very first oil and gas podcast that was ever even created called Oil and Gas This Week, which I'm also a co-host of. So really proud. And we're just here to educate and share stories. So thank you for sharing yours today, Vincent. Thank you, Paige. If people want to reach out or get to know more about mCloud, how might they go about doing so? Best is at our website, mcloudcorp.com. Dot com. There's a lot mm-hmm. to see there or reach out to myself or one of the team members here in Houston. We're on the West side and you can look us up online and we're happy to visit with you and see how we can help. Yeah. I'll also add your LinkedIn profile to the show notes so people can just click and get there quickly. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, Vincent. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Paige. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. 